Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Speaking of not taking ourselves seriously, we're going to talk about poop. Um, oh my God. Yeah, it's qu- I'm so quite, offended. Quite a segue. <laughs> All right, we're live. Welcome to episode three of Whiskey and White Toast Podcast. Hello, everybody. Thank you for coming. Today we have the world's best hunter on the planet, Mr. Matthew Livingston. Thank you for joining us, buddy. I don't know about the best hunter. (laughs) (laughs) You did better than we did this year. I enjoy Uh, hunting probably more than anyone, but that's... Definitely enjoy it. How many deer did you get It's mighty humble of you. I am not sure. South Carolina, maybe four, five, six, right. I'm guessing six, six deer. Um, put my wife on a really nice eight point and shot some nice deer up north this year. So, how many deer did you get this year, Gus? Just one. You know how many I got? Zero. 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 Hey. <laughs> not for lack of trying. I didn't try as hard as I guess uh, Mr. Livingston did. That's the one thing I can say is uh, Mr. Livingston is in the woods a lot. Yeah. You live in the woods, but that's your mantra. That's I what do. we know. I think anyone that does decent with hunting lives in the woods for the most part, unless you go to a fenced-in area. It's definitely it's a numbers a game, right? Like, I give myself a hard time. I was giving myself a hard time the other day because I hadn't had uh, much success this year. I was like, but... I also hadn't hunted that much this year as I as I could have or should have. Um, and if you hear some clinking and mouth noises, we are enjoying some delicious beverages uh, crafted by our, our very own Matt Green. We have the mats today, our resident Matt Green, and then of course our guest. Uh, what do we What are we drinking here? What did you make for us? So I got we got two different things in front of us. Um, since we're doing the powered by this episode is powered powered by, by. Blood Oath. Um, so we're on Blood Oath Pack 6 now, this year, which is a 98.6 proof. Fun fact, it's a blend of a 14-year, an 8-year, and a 7-year Kentucky straight rye-based bourbon. Uh, the mash bill, the, all that stuff is undisclosed as normal. They never tell you anything about it. Um, so cheers to, uh, the Pack 6. Tomorrow we're shooting a nice video for it. So on a palate, we're going to get some oak, leather, orange, a little bit of butterscotch. Let me know if you taste any of that, Matt. Definitely the butterscotch. Yeah. Do you? I just, those are the first taste as you were speaking. Um, can definitely taste butterscotch. Yeah. So on the finish, we're looking at raisins, plum, thick oak, toasted sugar. I taste some, I get some of the raisins on the finish. Yeah. Um, so spice and cherry a little bit. 
But so this year the uh, pack sick is uh, aged in some cognac barrels. They and change that up with each. Is it different? Everyone's yeah, every different? year everything they do is every pack is different. So they it's that's why it's cool. It's, it's I almost felt bad opening it, but I mean that's the job, right? Is to open and drink whiskey. So it's that's what we're doing here. So the other thing we're drinking is just uh, my home. That's brewed. actually what I was referring to. I forgot we yeah. were going to talk about uh, Blood Oath, but yeah, the my home brewed recipe. It's a maple syrup, um, old fashioned with bourbon, and we're using Russells, I think. Yep, that's a reason today. It's either that or Elijah Craig. I just kind of whatever the cheapest bottle is, I grab. Yeah, <laughs> for mixed drinks. That's good. That's good. It's really good. Thank you. Thank it's you. Delicious. So, back to hunting. Uh, the year's kind of winding to an end. Um, by the time I edit this and get it posted, uh, maybe the new year. So, happy new year. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Whatever it is you say to yourself or friends and family. But, either way, the deer season in South Carolina at least has come to an end. So, you've been hunting deer and you, well, you're from South Carolina, right? So you were you're born and raised here, correct? Yeah, born South Carolina, moved around quite a bit. Um, moved back to South Carolina after getting out of the Marine Corps um, in 2006. Um, but yeah, and then really didn't hunt right when I got back. Started hunting again in I would say probably 2009, 2010 timeframe. Um, and then we started a hunting hunting club yeah. in 2011. And since then, we've hunted a lot. Um, you do a lot Definitely. of public land stuff too. Yeah, love love W um, wildlife management areas. Um, hunt hunt a lot of wildlife management, um, which even on like your hunting shows, I feel like it's taken off because um, everyone complains about not being able to hunt like expensive properties and stuff like that. So um, certain people have went and kind of went the extra mile and showed you that you don't have to make the thousands and thousands of, or pay thousands of dollars for yeah. at least you can hunt public, public lands yeah um but when you do that as you watch some of those guys have become famous now you see they take kayaks canoes other things and get away from your standard hunters if they're going to shoot those big bucks yeah um so that's what i try to do i get on the water and go up into swamps and areas that most people wouldn't go um there's that's bucks there a big always. thing you've done here is one of your one of your stands here at the we're we're podcasting from the hunts from the hunting club that we all us three are members of. Yeah. Um, but that's one thing that you've done here is you have a stand out there where the snakes are, where where yeah. nobody wants to go, and that's been a very successful. You have stand. to cross a, a bridge that you I think have. Yeah, I don't know how you get deer across that bridge. There's a snake about every other time you cross it. There's a <laughs> yeah. cotton mouth or a water moccasin or something. How do you yeah, get deer across that? Um, it's, it's tough. Um, I'm pretty sure I've almost had heart attacks a few times dragging them across. <laughs> yeah, it's, I bet it's pretty it, rough. I bet so. Um, I believe it. But yeah, that, and there's a lot of, and deer walk through stuff that no one would ever think that they would walk through. Like you're like, Hey, this, this water is a foot and a half, two feet deep. There's no way that a deer is going to walk through this. And you'll see a buck chasing a doe right through that, um, two foot of water. Like it's nothing. Um, hmm. And that's, that's something I've come to learn over the last 10 years, at least, hunting in swamps. Another um, thing that I've noticed from you is I've seen multiple pictures of you uh, in kayaks or a canoe, in your canoe with bucks in the canoe with you. So, like, you've gone out to these islands, these bare islands to hunt. Are yeah. those lottery hunts or are those just spots that you know? 
No, um, same, like I was saying, Francis Marion or um, any of your wildlife management areas or public lands. Um, one of the main places that I hunt, um, the le- the water level is controlled by dams. So when they want to re- release water from lakes, they flood a lot of the property. And, I mean, some may look at it as cheating, but I go to what little land is left, and most of the time there's decent decent deer on that land. Um, I don't think it's cheating. It's, it's smart. Cheating. It's you smart. understand what's going land. on. Use it. I mean, for sure. Yeah, so I go in there. It's not like you go in there and you kill every deer that's on the... I didn't realize this. Was, I always had this envision of you and George Washington coming across <laughs> the whatever that that lake was or the, uh, the river was that he crossed during the Revolutionary War, but I always had this thing of you standing on the corner like... With your knee up on it like Captain Morgan, just <laughs> on a spike. Yeah, maybe at best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so you went to New York this year. I was supposed to go to New York. Um, a bunch of friends and buddies hunt every year in New York. Um, one of our friends from the Marine Corps has about thirty acres up there, and then he has another thirty or hundred acre property a christmas tree farm that they try to do nuisance um management okay because the deer destroy the christmas trees um (laughs) but we went up to new jersey um my brother-in-law and i went up to new jersey uh purchased hunting license there and when we started hunting in new jersey we were like why would we leave this it was so nice we had a 130 acre farm um it was a horse farm and the first day that i hunted i saw like three eight points, like nice eight points, a couple seven points, just a bunch of bucks, a bunch of does. Um, and we were, at that time, we were still kind of like meat hunting. Um, so we were fine with shooting does or whatever. Sure. Um, but seeing all those deer, we were like, why would we leave this? Yeah. It's just um, like we people told us when we went out west to hunt elk, like don't leave elk to find elk. If you're seeing them and they're in the area, then you're in the right place. Don't Don't leave them to go try to find them elsewhere. Yeah, so leaving a place in New Jersey that has great looking, you can hear that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Sorry, tighten it really good. You're not going to break it. It's, it's what it's meant to do. There you go. All right. So to leave New Jersey to go to New York was kind of pointless because you're <laughs> you're in a spot that already has the deer that you're looking for. And how and you guys you stocked up on meat and then started to trophy hunt a little bit or no? Um, well, New Jersey, um, like so many other places, like in South Carolina, we most people can't comprehend this, but in New Jersey, like South Carolina, I think we get what four bucks. Um, then um, you can purchase an additional two to four bucks. That yeah, are yeah, four yeah. points on one side, but your first four or whatever. Yep. Um, it's one buck. Period. Um, uh. So. There was no, like, you shoot a doe and then you would go trophy hunting if, if you wanted to do that. But um, the other part, there were so many people, the the trip to New York had got so large, um, there was limited places to stay, mm-hmm. supposedly. Um, we were all staying in, like, uh, like your canvas tents and stuff like that. I think Montana canvas is what they were all staying in. Mm. Um, but then come to find out there weren't as many people that ended up going... Um, I think a couple of people backed out for the same reason, um, because they thought there were going to be too many people, but yeah, we stayed in New Jersey, um, and I ended up shooting a really nice eight point, uh, I want to say it was like an 18 inch spread, which 
it's probably one of the widest eight points I've ever shot. Yeah. Um, it was very, very nice. Um, shot it with a bow. It was bow only um, when we went up there. Um, and again, they I think they get a muzzleloader and then a shotgun only slug, if I'm not mistaken, slug only. Yeah. But now for those, they had they have different seasons. Like, but it's still regardless of what your method of take is, it's still only that one buck. So whether you take it with a bow or a rifle or a muzzleloader, that's it. That's correct. Okay. That's the way I understand. That's um, the way Kentucky is as well. Kentucky has a one buck, which is uh, which brings me to my next question. So in South Carolina, where you can kill anything you want, you can kill as um, long as it's under an inch. You can kill bucks here with less than one inch, and they're antlerless deer, and you can tag them as antlerless deer. Yeah, you can kill, like you said, four or five bucks a year. So in these places that you can only kill one buck a year. Do you think that has something to do with why they have monster bucks and we don't? Um, I think there's a lot more that goes into it, genetics. Um, but I think it does have a part. Um, in South Carolina, a lot of people complain about the deer population as a whole, and they complain about coyotes, and, and they, they say predators. And I'm sure that plays a role in it, but we hunt a lot of deer. I think humans play a, a big role yeah. um, in killing deer um, and the numbers. And speaking of public land, I, I used to hunt 10 years ago when I started hunting um, Francis Marion. Uh, they would do a black powder one week in a certain area. It was nothing to see 40 deer in the morning, 40 deer in the afternoon um, out wow. of all the hunters that were hunting. And now you are you do good to see maybe 10 in the morning, 10 in the afternoon. Um, wow. And I really think that's just to the number of hunters that have really hunted hunted it that's and the, i remember uh, your dad his dad telling me that story yeah i was that, gonna say that's the hunt that you would do with your brother and your dad mm-hmm. uh, and his dad told me that when he was coming up hunting it i don't know if coming up was the correct word but when he was hunting it back in the day um they would all see gross like tons of deer and they could actually select the one they wanted to shoot where for us if we go now if we go to francis marion and we like for instance, I hunted all year. We did a lottery hunt together. I, I have seen like three deer all year. <laughs> None of the three that I decided to take. But but it's like, could you imagine going into Francis Marion and seeing 40 deer in one sitting? Yeah. I saw a, a, a guy posted on a, a, a group that I'm in for South Carolina deer hunters and uh, said he saw 19 deer this morning. And I was like, I, you know, I don't. I don't know that I've ever sat anywhere in South Carolina and seen yeah. 19 deer in one sitting. 10 maybe at, at the absolute most, but... Outside of Yorktown, Virginia, I've never seen 19 deer in one spot. The most deer I've seen physically with my own eyes on the hoof was that drive when we were driving through Tennessee. Yeah. And I literally stopped counting because it was field out, and, you know, there'd be a break... Yeah, that's true. With trees in between, and there'd be another field. I stopped counting at like 170 something, the number of deer I, I, that we, we were seeing when we were driving. It was unreal. That's insane. Yeah. We saw a lot of animals on that trip. Yeah, we did. Didn't kill a lot of ducks, but we saw a lot of animals. <laughs> yeah. It was a duck hunting trip. We did um, all right with ducks. Made a nice video. Yeah, that was fun. The, um, what would you, do you consider, I like asking people this question. Do you, if you were to not kill a deer for the season, which I could never imagine in your case, and me, it's it's a no-brainer, could happen any season, but for you to not kill a deer, how else would you 
do you think you could find success? Like how, how else would you define success other than killing a deer during the deer season? For example, for example, like I, if I don't ever, if I don't kill a deer in a season, um, it sucks. It's not as much meat in the freezer as I would like. But if I have an opportunity to get my younger kids out in the deer stand with me and get them exposed to hunting and to just being in the outdoors, that's still a win for me. Um, like I said, it sucks not getting any meat in the freezer, but getting them exposed to it, um, I still that's still on my like to do list every season. Oh yeah, no, I would I would say very similar. I mean, like tonight I brought someone yeah. that's never hunted before. He's nine years old out to a stand. Uh, we didn't get to shoot, but he got to see deer. He got to see bobcats. Got to see possums eat. Like, yeah, uh, just got to see a bunch of stuff that he never would have seen if he didn't go with a hunter. Yeah, yeah. Um, but bringing my wife every year now, we try to get her um, at least a deer per season. That's cool. Um, so always bring her. Um, or someone else new, bringing them, I don't know, I'd be lying if I didn't say that you don't want to bring people to your secret spots because you, <laughs> sure. I, I think that's kind of what everyone kind of in the back of their mind would, would think you don't want to bring everyone to all of your secret spots, but introducing people to new places that they've never hunted, I think is really cool, especially local places. Yeah. It's free. Like you said, public land, you're yeah. not free. We pay for it. Um, so I yep. think that's, that's really good is introducing people to new. Yeah brought my brother-in-law duck hunting to a place he had never been before um on wma on wildlife management area uh when was that saturday um and he was just amazed he couldn't believe that you were allowed to go there um and not pay um he thought it was really cool but yeah definitely that i would say introduce people to to the outdoors not necessarily killing something but sure, yeah, introduce yeah. them to the outdoors yeah i agree sure. i um I was explaining to my oldest son today the, the importance of public land and how in terms of the North American model of conservation, we're one of the only places in the world that have these well-protected and well-funded, you know, public, public land, um, you know, protections and things that are in place. Um, I have a shirt from Backcountry Hunters and Anglers uh, that says public landowner on the front. Um, and I get, I a, love that. Shirt. I always get comments on it and I want to buy another one cause the, the seam at the bottom is starting to come. That's a great shirt. Down. Cause it's a, it's a mantra almost it, public land. Like we are all public land owners, yeah. whether you use it or not, you are a public land owner. Yeah. Yep. And that's, that's for this young Marine that I'm going to help, um, that I work with. I'm yep. going to take him and show him some of Francis Marion and I'm going to give him, I don't have any, the spots you have, but I've, I've seen and killed deer in public land and I'm going to show him all those spots and it's, you know, he used to hunt back in Pennsylvania and now he's in South Carolina and he doesn't really have anywhere to go. And it's like, I, I would be a bad hunter. I'd be a bad friend. I'd be a bad coworker, a bad person if I didn't take him and show him yeah, of course. his property. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially since it's public land that we all own. It's a great resource. And I mean, I, I would encourage anybody who has access to any kind of public land to take advantage of it. Definitely. We even, I mean, during the lottery hunt that we were all at the three of us uh, a few weeks ago, um, you know, I, I discovered things that you can access and use there that I had no idea existed. Some of the fishing and stuff you can do there for youth. Yep. Uh, it's only for youth as long as you have like an adult with you. That's incredible. Uh, and to have those kind of resources that we pay for with our taxes and, and, um, and things like that, uh, that people don't understand is, is available to them. Uh, yeah. You pay for it. Why, why aren't people yeah. using it? Yeah. I think it's just, people just don't know about well, it. They need people like us to show them. There's that. And then I think that, a lot of it gets a bad name from people that don't use it. 
Like if you asked a random person that hunts that spends two three thousand dollars a year on a lease, if they ever hunt public land, they may say, "There's no way I'm hunting with a bunch of rednecks, dumb rednecks, where they're going to shoot me. People don't know what what they're doing. They're they're going to shoot anything that moves." Right. And then when you ask them, "Well, have you ever been?" and they say, "No, I, I would never go." Right. Yeah, they're they've never. It's the wrong mentality. So it, it gets it sure. gets a bad name when it should. Have you ever had that experience? Because I haven't. No. Every once in a while, you'll have a hiker that walks up, or I'll say maybe twice a year out of hunting 20 times in, in public land, yeah. I'll have somebody walk up that, yeah, it ruins your hunt, but you've got to understand you're hunting, hunting their land, land as well. 100%. So, yep. Um, yep. I recently heard a story about a, a, a new hunter. It was on another podcast. Um, I forget which one I was listening to. But they were talking about this a similar topic, and that is the whole idea of where people have this sort of ownership mentality in areas of public land. Like, well, I've been hunting this area for 18 years. You know, I got four, right. got four stands back here. Still doesn't make it yours. Congratulations, yeah. bud. Thanks for telling me that I'm in the yeah. right spot. Yeah, 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 exactly. This is a great yep. spot and that you have a lot of time invested. I'm going to put my stand over here. Here's my number. Let me know when you're, when you're coming out here and I'll do the same. But like this individual had experienced a thing where they did their best to scout with a map, went out, uh, figured out where they were going to go, went out early in the morning, hung a set, only to, as the sun come up, realize that there's another stand nearby. Um, and did it a second time, and I guess the person had a cellular camera out there, and the guy came out like a f- couple hours after the hunt to grab his camera and made some comment about just gonna, just trying to prevent, you know, theft before it happens and then made some flippant comment about having been hunting this area for like 18 years and maybe you should find some other place to hunt and this person was writing in explaining i'm a new hunter i'm just trying to get into this and now i I think i feel like i've done something wrong and i don't know what to do yeah and that's terrible it's it's a terrible way to turn people away from a a a community that's already suffering from attrition in my opinion yeah Mm -hmm. and the thing things like our public lands and those those resources that we have the more hunters and anglers that we have buying equipment and paying that extra tax that we have through the robertson Pittman act that puts that money back into the That's states for that thing exactly. the more money the more people we have doing that the more funds our state has yep. to keep up with those resources and that's and that's where these fields get planted and that's where yep. us as hunters we're able to go hunt peanut fields that were planted for the sole purpose of harvesting deer yeah and it's from things like that so to shy away new hunters i mean that's i hate hearing stories like that that's that's not the way it's supposed to be that's not the way it should be but it's public land right you very very well bump into somebody like i always i I always like seeing the picture of uh what is it's from duck dynasty and it's it's a it's a photo shoot that not duck dynasty uh buck commander it's a photo shoot they did same thing. where there's like, it is kind of the same thing <laughs> where it's like all 10 of them or eight of them. And they're all in tree stands and pine trees, like fairly close to one another. Like literally they could just like toss a baseball back and forth to one another, but they're standing in their tree stands. And it's, uh, it, the meme just says, uh, when the sun comes up on you know, opening day, public land. <laughs> and it's kind of funny, but like, I'm sure it happens where some old boy gets in and gets set up and then has a headlamp off and some other guy comes in 40 yards away, 30 yards away with his headlamp and puts, you know, climbs up with his, with his climber and sun comes up and the one that got in late now realizes he's a few yards from, from somebody else. There's nothing you can do about it. 
Has that happened to you, Matt? For me, I've I've climbed up and looked across a field and seen trail cameras, but I've never been that close to another hunter. It has, and I've been the other the person on the other end of that as well. Like, um, the good thing about most WMA, they have basically roads that you can't drive a vehicle down. Most people park a vehicle, or you could easily put a flag or something, a Correct. sign. So people know you're to, there. I've, I've said that over and over again. I wanted to create signs for people that if three people ride together, you could kind of put a sign and say, hunting this area, write the date on it. Um, but I walked in an area that I'd hunted before, um, walked about a half mile up into the woods. Um, there was no vehicle parked at the front, and what it was is someone had dropped the person off. Okay. Um, so I noticed a hunter in a tree they were hunting a food plot that was pretty far back in there and i turned around walked back it was a younger hunter i would say probably 15 maybe okay. in that age 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 range um turned around walked about 500 yards back went down into a little valley kind of like scoped out where i thought a deer would come sure sure enough i shoot the deer um and i felt bad afterwards i was like that deer may have eventually made it to where that other hunter was the, the younger hunter but cut him off yeah kind of kind of did cut him but off. as the ape i mean life is about apex so like as the apex hunter you know more than this 15 year old kid and so even though he was in the first spot you knew where the deer was going to be before he got to that spot so if anything the kid may have learned something because that's something that a lot of people don't think about is Yes, deer are known to go to this place or that place, but where are they going before? And that's something that takes years of experience, and that's not really something that you can be upset about. And if you were giving secrets out, I would say that's probably one of my biggest things for shooting deer on public lands. Yeah. And it doesn't matter, public or not, if there's a place that's hunted a lot, um, I'm sure out west and west and all these hunting channels that you watch, yeah, yeah. you see... 50 deer that come out no matter what it probably does not matter but for the most part i find a like a choke point or anything like that any any type of food plot especially wma there's hundreds of them out there right right i don't i do not hunt the food plots i hunt areas staging areas is pretty much all yeah. i hunt um i know the deer are going to go before during shooting light still stage before they go into that yeah, food plot. that's when we went on that that lottery hunt the only deer i, I saw was that first food plot that i put a pin on and like you and I talked about, I didn't hunt the food plot, and they had a nice stand in there. Yep. I walked around the food plot and about 40 yards, 50 yards past it in between, which I couldn't see on the map, but ended up being a good spot because between the food plot and there was a line of, uh, of hardwoods was all pines. Yep. And then actually to the, to the left of that a little bit where I ended up setting up was actually a low marsh area with water. So it was a great place for them to stage, drink, and that's where I, where I actually saw deer, and they caught me moving, and uh, I didn't I actually didn't see them. I say I saw them; they saw me first. Uh, this, it was so thick in there; it was it was hard to see anything moving. But uh, same night, shot a deer. Yeah, you same, saw right. Same you, you, you did the way same that thing. I did it. Went in forty yards from the the food plot. Yeah. Because people see tracks and food plots, and they automatically they're oh they're deer everywhere here. They yeah, they get nighttime. scared. They come out at night exactly, right. but they usually stage before nighttime. They're they're, I mean, smart animals. Um, so I'll go forty yards, Pretty fifty game. yards in the woods, and usually you'll see the deer stage. You'll see them walk up, um, and just kind of chill out before they go into the food plot, and that's when when you you get an opportunity to shoot them. So in the event that you look up a spot and you're like here's the field i want to hunt and here's the area that i know they're staging in 
if you walk out there and you get there and there is another hunter there, how do you move around? What do you look for? Do you base it off memory? Or you just take a gamble and say, I know that this is a choke point. This is water. This is a hard pavement. This is a hard road. Or like, what is, what is the process you have in your mind when you have to adapt on the fly? Most of the time, if I see that there's, there's a hunter there, um, yeah, if I see that there's a hunter there, I'll try to avoid the area period. I'll yeah. go to, I'll go three sure. or four miles away. Um, but like I, for instance, when I said that I turned around and walked back down the road, it was either set up or not shoot a deer that or not get a chance to hunt that night. Um, yeah, I look deer sign. I mean, that that yeah. sounds probably pretty dumb, but look for deer sign. If there's trails or any type of path, you see that they're crossing chances are they're, they're using that pretty heavily to beat the, beat the trail down like yeah. that. Um, or water. I always use water as like a, yeah, an edge. A, a great, um, great edge. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of people don't edges um, may not think of this and it's probably common sense. And I, I just, I'm thinking that people don't think of this. Um, water settles, obviously when it, when you get a lot of rain, a lot of your little ponds and stuff fill up and then they drop. They drop pretty rapidly, especially anytime the acorns or anything like that are falling. So um, as they fall, there's a acorn line that stays on that pond constantly on the edges. So as it falls, usually that's where deer, hog, anything like that will walk around those ponds and, and eat. eat. Yeah. Where, where stuff squashed up against the shore yeah, and it yeah. falls and it, it kind of sits there kind of like a tide. Um, so I've always used that as well. Um, usually works pretty well. Yeah, I like to hunt uh, edges or transitions between, like I mentioned earlier, uh, pines and hardwoods where there's there's a change in the type of trees or foliage where it, it goes from something being real thick and nasty to a little bit more open. Uh, I always seem to see a lot of, of deer or even just wildlife movement in general in those areas. Um, one thing that uh, you can just chew your ice, it's okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah. By no means do you do we take ourselves seriously here. We we try to pr- uh, produce uh, quality sound for that's easy to listen to, but uh, we certainly don't take ourselves seriously. So, um, one th- speaking of not taking ourselves seriously, we're going to talk about poop. Um, oh my god! Yeah, it's quite, I'm so quite offended. Quite a segue, <laughs> uh, but it's actually on. It's actually on topic. So I was, and I wanted to ask you if you've because you've hunted, I think, on public land more than either of us have. Um, certainly more than I have. Have you ever? Uh, have you ever experienced anything f- where hunters have tried to deter people from hunting certain areas? Um, and and what I what I mean by this is I've read some things uh, out west, particularly where you know you go into a trailhead to hunt elk or things where you're going to be in the woods for days, sometimes at a time, and guys will uh, take an old beat up vehicle, buy it for a couple hundred bucks, an old couple hundred dollar truck, and drive it and leave it and at a trailhead to dissuade people from hunting that area i've even heard of people taking a dump at the trailhead and leaving feces like all over it was just to- to make it toilet paper totally to make it super obvious. super like there was a piece of shit unappealing hunter yeah there's here. a piece of shit <laughs> hunter here um have you ever encountered anything like that in south carolina or any, any public land for that matter um not to the the extent that you're saying it, I don't think. Um, no. A lot of people will leave vehicles and people will pick them up 
when they leave. Yeah. Especially if you're camping, they'll leave their vehicle to kind of mark their spot. Okay. Um, yeah. And then it's there the whole day, the next day, or whatever. Right. And then just like um, kind of carpool or use one carpool, vehicle to and then they've marked their spot for the weekend or whatever. I'm not sure if you're supposed to do it, but they do that. Which I don't know. There's a, there's plenty of places to hunt, but to your point of deterring um, by using the restroom, um, my biggest buck that I've ever killed in Francis Marion was me going down a, a tree with a climber uh, to use the restroom, use the restroom, and 30 minutes later, the biggest buck I've ever killed in Francis Marion walks out. Like a out. poop? You took a yeah. poop? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's happened, like, probably two or three times that's happened. Or, like, almost peed myself, so I have to go down, I pee, and I'm like, there's no way that a deer's coming. Sure enough, deer walk within ten yards. Yeah, now, so, so I've so, I've heard more than once that human yes, urine is just as as much of an attractant to deer. They We've just, been told by a lot of hunters that the smell of piss and feces will bring deer in, like human. Because I mean, obviously, if you, if you saturate a spot and make it disgusting, yeah, um, it's but not going to work. Definitely but. been told human urine. I've been told that they that that they smell something that they're like cats, just something they, different. Yeah, they're like, "What is that?" And they're curious, they and they come it out. to check it Inter- out. Interesting, and it, which is one of the reasons that scents work is because you know that the scents. I mean, when, think about it this way: all the scents we've used. Anytime you walk through the woods and you smell a natural scent, you smell natural doe urine. You recognize the scent, but it's not the same. Right. So it stands to reason that. The reason scents work is because they're close, but not the same. But any scent is going to drive, is going to make a deer. A deer's going to perk up. They're curious animals. They want to come check it out. Uh, I don't know if. I'm pretty sure like, my Irish Spring soap doesn't work. No. Yeah. yeah that's, that's <laughs> I don't know thing. the science behind that's a, any but of that. But that doesn't have a body means, smell to it, I think. I think it has to have a, a an actual body smell, like pee, urine, body odor. But we always hear those stories about old men smoking cigarettes and drinking whiskey, and they're uh, yeah, and they're standing kill- and slaying deer. But that also goes back to these old men that were seeing forty deer in a field where none of us have ever seen forty deer in a field, yeah, except driving through Tennessee. Well, it makes it just it makes me wonder, yeah, you know, how much has changed in the past ten years? Why has it changed? Who's responsible for it? And is there anything that we can do to combat that change? Well, our regulations have only gotten stricter, which is a good thing. Yeah. Um, as a hunter, I feel like it's a good thing. Um, like, what, five years ago, we didn't have tags for deer. And I'm sure someone right. can fact check this, and it's probably not exactly accurate. But we didn't have, I think doe tags were the only tags we had in South Carolina. Um, you had doe days. Um, right, yeah, but you, yeah. The amount of deer you could legally kill were probably forty or fifty deer at least. It was a lot. Um, yeah. It was insane. And it's gotten the more strict. Yeah, and I think it's a good thing. Um, so, do you think that all of the scent, all of the camouflage, all of the ozone, all the things that people are doing, do you, do you think that that is a result of mass amounts of deer that were killed, and then regulations like they almost wiped it out, and then regulations came into play to where now. You can't kill as many because there's not as many. So do you, do you think that a lot? I know I know that you use a, you use a spray, yeah. you use camouflage, you use these things. But like in your soul of souls, do you really believe that that technology works? 
I'm sure it Yeah, it I think works. I think it works. It helps it I some, think it helps some way, right? Yeah. Sure. I mean the same way that uh you know But do you think you can kill a deer in jeans and a t shirt? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sure. Of right. course. My uncle is one of the best deer hunters that I truly like all jokes aside, I know I I do you hunt are a lot, but I'm not slayer. I'm not by any means. I I, I shoot Quit playing it down. Like that. We we but, sold you as the as the deer slayer of South Carolina. Oh yeah. So, but my uncle truly is like that guy. That's all he's done his whole life, and he would get off work at Georgia Pacific and Prosperity, South Carolina, and go hunt with grease all over him. Yeah. Um, dip while he was in the stand. I know you were complaining earlier tonight, Matt, about someone smoked in the stand that you were in. You had a bunch of cigarette butts, which I disagree with as well. But he he would go hunt with grease on him and shoot Boone and Crockett bucks. Yeah. He's got several in the record book. Yeah. Um, I think I think that some of the technology that's come out has allowed hunters to go into places and hunt deer and get closer to deer uh, and be a little more reckless, meaning yes. you can you can do a lot to, to mask your scent and not have to play the wind as much now of course if you play the wind still smart you're at even an even better advantage if you pattern your deer where you know they're moving and you have an entrance and an exit route where you're not busting a deer out of a bed all those old all those old things that our grandparents and great-grandparents and uncles and dads or whatever did before all this other technology was was popular those things still hold true and can increase your likelihood, I think, of seeing deer. But these other technologies like the ozone units and all the scent sprays, I think back then, you know, my grandpa would just take pine needles and break them and rub it up and just rub it on himself so yeah. it smelled like a tree. Well, the smoke thing has been is still stands or, yeah, true. Using like smoke. Hannah Barron talks about that all the time. Make a bonfire the night before, stand in front of it, smoke yourself out, smoke camera gear, smoke your weapons, and that's how they film, as they film by smoking out the entire crew. And uh, because it's a natural scent, so clearly right. scents work. I'm just, yeah. my question is, in your opinion, do you think that because the deer population has significantly decreased over the past, I don't know, 15, 20 years, do you think scent technology is more important now than it was before it existed? Because do you think scent technology was created because deer are less common? Well, are you sure? Are you, are you sure though that deer are less common, or that that the deer just because you and I are maybe not seeing as many, the entire yep. The, we, well, we've well, been again. This links back to the like stories. The last ten years, yep. slightly, but no, we're we're still way over what they were in. I don't know, even like the 60s, 70s. I, I'm I'm pretty sure they anyone that's been to a QDMA dinner yeah, has yeah, heard. Yeah. Like the 20s, whatever time frame, it basically went to nothing, and then it's right, climbed yeah, yeah, yeah. and continued to climb. But over the last ten years, I think it has declined again. Um, and they, well, that's why because they I'm say just, coyotes and predators. That makes sense. I'm but, just mentioning like your dad's stories yeah, about yeah, yeah. 40 deer, yeah, yeah. every okay. day, and it's like we we never see that. That's not happening in our part of South Carolina. Yeah, would not you say, say that Francis Marion is being hunted more now than it was then, um, or no? 
I think it I'm, was I'm, for I'm a little while. I'm strictly playing devil's advocate. No, here. I think I it was for that. a little while. Um, but then it's calmed down. Last year, yeah. it wasn't hunted much. This year, I don't think it's. I don't think. Which you'd think COVID automatically everyone would go out and hunt a lot more because you can do it. You, it's a place that you're able to go, but. Um, some of your public lands were still closed down probably when they shouldn't have been because yeah, you're still obviously six feet away in a deer stand. Um, but this year it was, hopefully (laughs) there were not a lot of people that hunted, um, Francis Marion this year at all, um, compared to the other years. Yeah. Uh, and then we've had a couple, not really bad hurricanes, but. Bad enough That's to right. shut down Francis Marion yeah, um, yeah. over the last two or three years. Yeah, they will close it. Yeah, they'll close it because yeah. the roads get destroyed and yeah, they're just federally They know funded. that you're going to mess yeah. it up when you drive through it. Yep. Well, I've also seen, I'm sure you guys have seen the same emails. When we get some of the weather in certain parts of the state flood, they shut down hunting in some areas of zones because... The what flood, I said earlier, the, what I take to an advantage. Right, yeah. like in other areas, it creates yeah. an extremely unfair advantage where you can literally find probably you know dozens of deer on a a small strip of land you know because things have gotten so so bad i remember was it three or four years ago we had that hundred year flood yep and they shut down uh, five years ago was that five years ago yeah wow yeah i guess it was um what's the river that runs just up here Uh, they had the edisto so there were huge portions of the edisto that got shut down you couldn't hunt at all um because of that but uh how come we've never, like us three, have you ever hunted this Edisto property? Here? No, I've said it over Isn't that over. crazy a, that we, like we drive up here all the time and we 10 never... 10 miles from here that we yeah. can hunt. I think about it a yeah. lot because I've looked at it. it on maps too. Like it's a, it's a good looking property and it's right, there's a lot of choke points in there. Yep. There's Between a lot hard that, road and, and actual the Edisto itself. You can hunt that? I didn't know you yeah. could hunt that. Yeah, a lot. It's right there. accessible the, by boat as well, again, yep. which is... That's the, one thing I t- I've been I've been focused a lot the past couple of years on getting like like an aluminum boat to do duck hunting and I think what I need to get is a canoe. No, that canoe I got, I know where one is back here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I think the we, joke the joke is that that belongs to Matt. Livingston. It belongs to Matt. Let me say it's his boat, but we, I know it. where he stashes it because I used it to get a duck one time. Hey, one of the best Art. pictures ever taken of me was inside that canoe. I know I saw it. It was good. It's majestic. <laughs> Navigating black water welcome. swamps in a canoe. Bucket L- little list. do we know that I pushed him out just far enough to get the picture. Yeah, that's it. Because we didn't have a paddle. <laughs> I was like, bring me back, bring me back. I got the canoe when I was like nine years old. Oh, really? Yeah, it was that's in cool. uh, North Carolina, Black River, North Carolina. It was sitting at a, a guy's house. And I went up and offered him all of my allowance, pretty much everything that I'd saved up um, for the canoe. And he looked at me and was like, Hey, if as long as you enjoy it, you can have it. And he gave me that canoe, which I How didn't have you? enough money. I was probably nine or ten years old. I was pretty young. Man, um, I wish I I, I have cool story, I have I, you know yeah, when I, I was thought of Mr. Vernon was his name. When I was in back, no, he he passed away probably ten years ago. And on damn when he passed away, I posted a picture of me in the canoe um, to his family page, which I hadn't talked to in like fifteen years. Yeah. Um, I was like, I'm still enjoying Mr. Vernon's canoe. That's a wild awesome. story. That's man. a yeah. great story. Yeah. That's a really cool story. I wish that our society wasn't in such a way uh, that that kind of thing was not more common. Like, I wish, I wish kids did that kind of thing more often. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I walk up and talk to a stranger. Just you know, walk up and and knock on a door and and 
ask yeah. about even something as simple as hunting permissions. Like people yeah. don't do that as much anymore. Nah. Yeah. Um, when I when I first moved to North Carolina, that house that uh, that we had on Overhills Road, um, I don't know if I ever showed you, but about a mile and a half down the road was a lady that had a a blue uh, 1969 Chevelle, and I wanted it, and I and I wanted to buy it and work on it with dad. And I stopped when I was in eighth grade and I walked and asked what her price was, like if she would sell it. And she wasn't interested in selling it because it was given to her. Her dad bought it on her birthday or something. And she was some weird sentimental thing. I stopped like every other year and asked if she was, if she was ready to sell it because it sat at the top of a hill and every year, it slid a little further <laughs> down that <laughs> damn hill. Nice. And it pissed me off because it just sat there and over the course yeah, of 10 years of the it just rusted out and it just, it rotten away. Yep, it's done. And I haven't driven by there in a while. I, I imagine it's still there. Probably the blues all faded, but it was in a condition where we could have spent, you know, a few years and a few thousand dollars and got it running. It would have been a really cool project car, but just walking up and just asking a stranger, you know, permission to hunt or are you looking to sell that or when you are let me know or well, that's people just don't do that uh, anymore. andy and myself um my wife andy and my me and my wife we uh because i forget anyway we um that was our thing like that was we had a lot of rare so we used to be real big into volkswagens for those that don't know some of you know but but that was our big thing was volkswagen so we had bought mark ii coupes which are like really hard to get and um, Scirocco's, Corrado's, like we had mint of mint Corrado's with super clean leather interior and all these things. But it's like we got them all from just asking, like, hey, would you sell that thing? And I'm like, that old piece of shit? Yeah, I would sell it because I would love to get rid of it. And we're like, done. You know, and we pay five, six hundred bucks for it. But in, in the Volkswagen world, you know, it's a four or five thousand on a car. Yeah. And we used to do it all the time. And it used to drive people crazy. People used to get so mad at us because they're like, "We know you only paid five hundred dollars for it. How are you selling it for five grand?" It's like because someone's willing to pay for it. Exactly the point. But I had I was able to walk up and talk to them. Like, go find me an eighteen year old today that's just going to walk up and ask somebody if they'll sell something, or walk up and ask them, "Can I mow your yard? Can I? Can you pay me twenty dollars a month?" Dude, it's it's few and far between. I have my mind. No one's. I've never been asked. I was getting ready to say to mow my yard. I have lived in. Uh, two different neighborhoods. Well, th- no, three different neighborhoods now. I've I rented a home in one, and I've owned two houses in in the Charleston, Somerville, South Carolina area. Lived in here for almost ele- here almost eleven years. I have be- had my door knocked on three times and asked if I wanted my yard mowed. One was by a grown man who was clearly just. Hustling. Having a hard time. Just trying to hustle. Just down down on his luck. Yeah. And he said he would mow my lawn and, and edge it for 20 bucks. And I gave that dude 60 bucks because yeah. he did a damn good job. You could just yeah. tell he just he was just looking for work, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the other two times were by kids. But that's over the course of 11 years. Mm. It's wild. It, it used and to be you had to... I had to compete, I compete with other kids. So did I, dude. I had to compete with... I was like, oh, well, I'll give you free edging. I'll edge your yard for free. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, Jimmy... Wasn't going to edge for free. That's right. So now I'm mowing for $20 and edging the yard and blowing it and doing your leaves and everything else for $20, $20 $30 a month. You know, it's it's crazy, man. Like, 
all that like the story about the canoe like that you're you might be the last person to ever tell a story like that that shit just doesn't exist anymore yeah it, that's a cool story man yeah yeah i in high school probably i don't know probably like ninth grade a couple of friends and i there was a rundown house near my parents um the leaves were so crazy in the yard and we saw kind of like what you're saying the, the lady um and the the guy her husband were trying to rake leaves in her yard so we walked up and we offered to rake their yard for uh just to see what they would pay us thousand dollars oh they they gave us 350 <laughs> an hour to rake leaves and you can get a lot of blisters in an hour like, we were like <laughs> yeah dying and we 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 made like i don't know maybe nine bucks on our yard each but that wasn't and, the point yeah the you know, point yeah, wasn't was, the money. It was no, the fact but, that you were paid to do something. Oh yeah, no, it was. But especially like that's. I just think that's a point that's that's foregone. Now I, I will is. say that, and we're getting way off of the kind of topics of whiskey and whitetails, but that's it's podcast. It is what we do. Like I had an interesting discussion with my my oldest son the other day, and he's fourteen. And there are some businesses in the area that will hire you to work on. I forget what it's like. What the like Wayfair. Yeah, like you can, I, 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 like, like Publix. <laughs> I, I just got the joke. <laughs> Sorry. Oh man, um, like Publix and some of these other places where you can bag groceries and do really simple stuff for <laughs> as a fourteen year old. That's a terrible joke. It's a bad joke. Oh man. Sorry. Um, but and he was like, but. You know, I was like, he's like, how much would I make? And so we got into the whole like minimum wage discussion, this, that, and the other. And he's like, I could make more money if I, I forget what he said. And I said, yeah, you probably could. And, you know, and we started discussing time versus money, right? And and giving your time for money versus, you know, maybe starting your own business or whatever. That, that. And so kids today, I think, have a different viewpoint and on money and what it means to work as well. And whether it's for better or worse, I I think it's, it's still it's still out uh I think for us it was like you you live this life like my parents supplied like our parents supplied us with basic necessities. Yep. Yeah. But if you wanted something like a new Nintendo game, I had to go mow yards to get it. Yep. Right. Exactly. But I feel like today because technology is cheaper, parents are just buying this shit for their kids to shut them up. Go yep. play this. I'll go buy you sure. an Xbox. Go yeah. sit in this room, and do, so they don't need to go out and mow lawns. They're they're raised to talk through text message and Instagram and social media, so they don't actually have to communicate with each other in person. And now we're kind of nailing it in the cloth and the cough, nailing the coffin closed with with the COVID thing. Like we'll shut the schools down. Like I'm genuinely worried, not only for the hunting community, but just the world in general. Um, on the path that we're that we're going down, like I think the hunting stuff is is really going to take a hard turn. We may be some of the last hunters. I, I honestly fear that. That is it's very that is very dark. It's very it is scary. dark and it's scary to think about. But I think it's potential. I mean, how many people younger than you do you know that are hunters? Really think about it. People, I, don't have, I don't have a ton of friends younger than me, but I will say that. I am making every effort I can to do what little I can to ensure that another generation of outdoorsmen or women yeah. uh, are being educated and exposed. Now, I can't, and, and I won't force my kids 
to no, do any you one can't thing. Force anyone to do anything. Um, but I will expose them at every opportunity I get to the different things there are to do in the outdoors. And if that means that one of my kids decides that they love hunting and all they want to do is bow hunt game with you know traditional archery equipment, so be it. And if another one decides that they want to be a a vegan and fight for animal protections and be anti-hunter, then I'll find another place to live or him. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, whatever it is, as long as they, they enjoy something other than being inside and staring at a screen, yep. that's what's important to me. For sure. Um, and that kind of goes full circle to public lands is, you know, of course I'd like to own some property one day and I will, but until then, man, I'd always have access to a hunt club, but there are parks and, state parks and federal parks and public land that ensure that I always have access to the resources to expose my kids to those things. Yep. And to introduce new hunters. Like if, if I have friends or, or people who are interested, they just want to see what it's like. I want to be able to do that. I'm thinking about maybe, you know, I have some family coming up uh, later this week to do sort of a second Christmas. Um, and I, I, a couple of them I, I know don't hunt, and I'm going to offer see if anyone want to come deer hunt because that'll give me an excuse to hunt while I have family in town. And you should, and that story linked with, I won't spoil it in case you want to do something with it in the future, but your idea of the new hunt, like we oh, talked yeah. about earlier. So pairing that to actually make it cool to be a new hunter, like to add that part to your idea is like, we're going to do this, but it's also a cool thing you want to do. So it's like your friends now want to get involved and his friends want to get involved. But it's, yeah. we are for sure, gentlemen, we are a dying breed. Kids just aren't hunting. They're not. And it's. I have to say, though, I think um, just as a community, collectively, we have to do a better job of being more welcoming and more. Absolutely. Um, tolerant of new hunters. Yep. We're, we're very quick to kind of roll our eyes and be annoyed with someone asking a lot of questions or and I'm no wanting more to guilt. do this. I'm, I'm or, guiltier than anyone else. It's, can I come with you when when you've already spent the week planning out exactly where you're going to go and what you're, now you got to yep. account for a second person. But yep. granted, life, generally speaking, is short, but we still have a lot of years to live as long yep. as we're all healthy. We're going to have plenty of opportunities to hunt. That one hunt that someone asked to go on might be the thing that changes their life and gives them a new perspective and again, as, as I said, that's one more person on our side when it comes to fighting for the, the conservation rights that, that we have to go to bat for. Yep. It's one more person buying hunting, fishing, and, and other equipment that Which pays. Which us more public hunting land. Right. Yeah. That, that yeah. gives us that extra money in taxes. Yep. So every opportunity we have, I think we need to do that. And I know that like QDMA or whatever they are now, the National Deer Alliance, they've, or that's who, National Deer Association, they, QDMA and national deer alliance combined to be the national deer association now cool um i know they have some cool like new hunter programs and field to fork programs where they take um what, what time are we at how long we've we been going i don't know can you see mm-hmm. matt can you see what it i says? know that it's uh 11 something it is late isn't it how long we've we been recording maybe an hour, an hour. wow an hour, hour. 55 our, our first hour long podcast yep. fancy um, but yeah, I just think it's important that we, um, that we do better as a community. Um, we just do better. I don't know how else to say it. 
It's yeah, prob- it's something we. I I agree with you a hundred percent. It's something that we as hunters need to do to bring more hunters into what we're doing, because it's it is it is a dying thing. And even as like I don't have kids, but like you, Gus, you have children, so like you can introduce hunting to them. But if they don't like it, then the legacy, your legacy of hunting, is gone. And like Matt's trying, to, Matt Levison is trying to pass on his legacy of hunting to other children. But it's like if they don't like it, you you, you let them shoot a twenty gauge too early or whatever, and they don't whatever touch a gun again. <laughs> I like, think we've all done that. <laughs> like when things like that happen, you lose hunters. But it's for instance again this marine guy that I work with, good kid, and I and he he's gonna cut me for calling him a kid, but he's a good dude. So it's like if he reaches out and asks me, I want to go see what public land's like. Because yeah. he's like, I, I've always been told that public land is land you can't hunt. That's sacred land. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, man. WMAs in South Carolina are like, that's all hunting. You can also hike it, but you can also hunt it. And so I want to go show him this property. I'm going to take time out of my day to drive an hour away to go show it to him. Mm-hmm. But I think that, that that's important for us as hunters to give back. And that's what ties into the whiskey and whitetails thing is like the same thing with whiskey. It's important for us to teach people like Matt's an excellent hunter. We have a lot to learn from him from hunting, but we can share knowledge and trade things on whiskey. He's sitting here drinking blood oath, has no idea what blood oath is. We made him, we got midwinter's nice dram up there. Go pour him some of that. He has no idea what that is, but he's got knowledge for hunting that we have no idea with. Even though we we are skilled hunters, we've been doing this a long time. Yeah, it's all about sharing knowledge and, and continuing the ability. That this knowledge, you know, passes down from generation to generation. Not even that, friends to friends. Yeah, absolutely. I think probably that's probably a good note to sort of wrap this up. Yeah. In. Um, we've it been going on point. and on about it, but it makes the point. And uh, we're probably going to go ahead and waterboard Matt tonight to get some information out of him. Yep. Some of his there's things I need to spots. know that he held back. That's well, okay. Um, you'll be able to kill a four point next week. <laughs> you won't have to with your spot. I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> now the juice is going to be over next week. Exactly. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up. That's it for us. So it's an time. outro, ladies and gentlemen. The world's best hunter. <laughs> I love it. All right. Thanks for coming, man. Until Thanks that, for doing this for us. We yeah, appreciate absolutely. it. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right. Till next time. See you guys. Later. that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western oh, i'll be over there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv